Welcome to History 21, the podcast, a production of the Anoka County Historical Society, sharing the stories and audio journeys from our county's past and present. Rebecca and I had a lot of fun coming together to record this episode of the podcast. Unfortunately, something went wrong with Rebecca's microphone, making her less than clear and very, very soft. We've corrected as much as our limited abilities allow, uh, but we're keeping it as is rather than re-recording for the historical record. Enjoy the episode, and good thing I talk a lot in this one. I'm back! <laughs> we were just staring at each other. It was like a, a standoff. Who's going to talk first? Hello, Rebecca. Hello, Sarah. How was your vacation? My vacation was amazing. Thank you. I'm glad that Steve could uh, stand in for you last episode. But I'm trying to have another voice in my episode, so you don't have to completely solo them. <laughs> but now we have this episode. And we can be goofy together. <laughs> this episode is kind of about people who recognize your name, even though you haven't met them before. Because your name exists and you must be related <laughs> in some capacity. Like you've... They've interacted with your family before, or they knew a generation past, or they have seen you on Channel 5 News. <laughs> You're infamous. Famous? Whatever. That's the problem with, for me, Ebnet is a very unique maiden name, so there aren't too many branches of the Ebnets running around. So if you see an Ebnet, generally speaking, you go, eh, it's one of mine. <laughs> you get mobbed. You're like, how are we related? What's the thing? And then they find out they're part of the weird branch. Uh, you don't want to talk to you anymore. <laughs> I'm the first generation of my family that was born in Anoka, so I don't have those deep ties. Here. But my name is on the website, and I get, and I get around. <laughs> How do you spell this last name that's coming up in the podcast? It is Klonowski. K-L-O-N-O-W-S-K-I, I think. Klanowski. Klanowski. You would have failed to spell me. You have to say it again? Uh -huh. hmm. What is anal, Rebecca? <laughs> <laughs> Why, yes. <laughs> On that four-letter word, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to hit play on the interview Sarah did with the Klanowskis, a name that is recognized around Anoka in many different circles. Yeah. Lynn Klanowski talks about her father, Mark, who was a coach and principal at Anoka Junior High, and her mother, Anna, or Ann Klanowski, who was a counselor. So if you had her letters of the alphabet, you might have... Had her as your counselor. Onward. Welcome to okay. yeah, the museum. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, feel free to introduce yourselves. Well, my name is Lynn Klonowski, and I was raised in Anoka. Great. I'm Nicole Klonowski, the niece of Lynn, born in Anoka, lived in Anoka, and then moved to Andover, but graduated from Anoka High School. Anoka County. Yeah. Um, and people might recognize your last name. You say people come up to you 
when they hear it. Or if I'm wearing a name badge. When I worked at the Twin Cities International Airport and I'd be at the ticket counter and I'd find people just staring at me and they'd, they'd go, are you related to that principal <laughs> or that counselor from Anoka? Yes, I am. And then they'd go into their own stories about interaction with my dad or my mom. Who was your dad and mom? My father was Mark Klanowski, and he was a coach um, here at Anoka, and he was also the principal of what was called then Anoka Junior High. And my mom, Ann, or Anna Klanowski, was also a teacher here, and she was you couldn't work in the same school district initially if you were married, oh. or if you did, Gotta love this, you got paid half of, I know, you would get paid half. So she did quite a bit of substituting in, until um, her husband, my dad, passed away and then she launched into full-time. What do they usually remember about your dad? He was a big guy. Um, he, he, he really enjoyed people. He treated everybody the same. Uh, he used to introduce us as little kids. Here's the um, superintendent of the school district, and then we'd go down and have, have milk and cookies with the cooks in, at the school, or we'd um, play hide-and-seek with the janitors. And he was very, very much into, you know, everyone, let's just treat each other well and let's have a good time. And he was great about that. He was very fun, very fun. But he didn't start off as a principal. No, he... He graduated from the University of Minnesota where he had lettered in baseball and in um, football. So he played for Bernie Berman, the, the big teams that used to go to the Rose Bowl and win. Hello. <laughs> <laughs> and um, then became a gym teacher, a physical education instructor. That's what he graduated in. I think a lot of the jocks did <laughs> back then. And got his uh, teaching job. Well, his first teaching job was in Winnebago, Minnesota. And then they got both my mom and dad came up to Anoka. He, he was offered a coaching position and a physical education position at Anoka Junior High. And then it just went on from there. <laughs> I remember him getting his master's degree to go into administration. And then and my mom helping him. <laughs> oh, my, my, yeah. <laughs> I, Helping I was, with the math. Yeah, the math. Yeah. I was looking up some things before you came here, and it looks like his first year in Anoka was 1941. Yes. Yeah. Yes. What was he coaching when he first got here? Oh, gosh. Um, baseball, wrestling, and football. Yeah. And Boys, obviously, yes. Yeah. Th those were the days when my mom said he would have like a hundred kids in a phi ed class, and he'd march them down the street to the fields to play because they didn't have a field at Anoka Junior High then. They'd go down to one of the parks and, and they'd do drills. He said, she said he was like a drill sergeant, quite frankly, she, which he had been in the CBs. <laughs> you know, he trained, he trained officers uh, how to march and all that good <laughs> stuff. So she said, oh my gosh, they were... Perfectly lined up, well-behaved, everyone knew where they were going, <laughs> complete order. We're talking about Anoka Junior High. What right. building is that? It's now that Sandberg um, Teaching Center or whatever. What? I, I, he had an impressive record here yeah. as a coach. Yes. Yes, and um, 
I think sports was a much more gentlemanly activity back then. If you look at even the outfits they wore for they didn't have enough padding. No, my gosh, <laughs> but you weren't you weren't creaming guys mm-hmm. like they are now. You know, it was more of a, a respect the talent of a quarterback passing and uh, a person running. He was very very fair. Um, everyone who practiced played in the game. So there were no bench warmers. Everyone who practiced got to play, which I thought was amazing. Everyone remembers that. Of course, some played longer than others, but still, you practice, you get to play. And he never believed, this is my mom relating a lot of this to me, he, he didn't believe in having an opponent who didn't have some points on the scoreboard. So you don't annihilate them. But he still did. They, oh, I think he, what made him famous locally was the record that he yeah, set. Yeah, he had for, one of the longest coaching success records. Yes, he turned around a team that had not been doing right. extremely well, and suddenly they were... Yeah. In 1941, that first year that he came, the football team won the 16th district championship. Seven wins, zero losses. His first district yeah. championship team. Yeah. Were you ever embarrassed about having your dad as a local coach or a principal? You know, my my brother, your dad, Nicole, was (laughs) not interested in any of the sports that our dad had done. My brother's adopted also. So, you know, everyone assumed we would, I would have my mother's math genius and my, your dad would have, (laughs) you know, your, my dad's um, athletic ability. So I wanted to go to these things with my dad. So I would go, he played baseball. Or, or, yeah, he played softball when they'd have these summer leagues here. And he was one of the oldest guys out there. Um, and he, he could hit a ball anywhere. I mean, he couldn't run that fast at that age. But, man, he was with a lot of younger people. And the fans would just go quiet when he would come up to bat because he was still such an excellent hitter. And when I started playing um, softball for Ghostly Ghosts, Ghostly's Ghosts, which was one of the first um, formal teams of girls softball here in Anoka, I remember hitting, I think it was a triple, and a man in a car parked across said, just like your old man, way to go. I was so proud, you know, because he would play catch with me and he'd hit balls to me. He got me a basketball hoop, which my mom said, made her crazy because of all the reverberation in the house. It was, <laughs> you know, attached, to the house. It was attached to the house. <laughs> and But he was always very, um, I was always proud of him. And I was a proud, I, I remember feeling kind of in awe of how in awe people were of him when he participated in sports. You said your mom was a teacher too. Yep. She um, was a graduate from McAllister and she taught math, physics, and chemistry. Yeah. Didn't she also graduate? Oh, she graduated like in, like in three years with a triple major. I know. I know. With a triple major in math. Math, physics, and chemistry, yeah. Brilliant woman. <laughs> Do you remember when your dad became the principal? Uh, n- uh, no, I don't. Um, I, just, I just remember being very small and sitting under his desk like John F. Kennedy Jr., <laughs> you know? I, I, yeah, because when he passed, I believe I was 12. Um, and so my experience with him as a principal was usually going into the office with him on weekends. Um, my mom probably needed a break. (laughs) And so he'd bring my brother, Stephen 
and me to the office, and we'd go through his desk drawer where he had all the confiscated good stuff. Oh. Ooh, this was the days of the Baldies, and there was one other, like, gang. And he would accumulate switchblades and all sorts of good stuff like that. You just playing in the drawer? Oh, in the, he'd keep them in the drawer. Yeah, yeah. And then he'd let us go down to the gymnasium, which fortunately my mother didn't know about at the time. She would have had a fit because the trampoline was down there. What could be more fun for two unsupervised kids than in a gymnasium <laughs> <laughs> full of all these toys, right? And he'd stay in the office and just be like, go to the gym. He would put the um, intercom on. So he could, in case of the, a crash or something or a, a scream or whatever. So that was his child care. Um, <laughs> but his time as a, a principal was cut short. Right. Yeah, talk uh, about the summer of 1965. Well, it starts in the spring. That was, to this day, still the highest uh, floodwaters of the Mississippi has incurred. Um, Where were you living at the time? We were living at 1707 Levy Avenue. Right next to the Mississippi. Right next to the Mississippi, but we were set back, um, not like some of our neighbors who literally were right on the banks, but it was not, we did have a little slope to it, so we were up about maybe three feet higher than, you know, our, our rest of our yard. But, yeah, uh, Easter Sunday, uh, we went to church in a boat. The National Guard had come to um, help people evacuate, and our basement was filled with clean water to keep the walls from caving in. Um, it was very really? dramatic. Wow. Yeah, they did that um, because this, the water, groundwater, was so high. Not just the floodwaters, but the groundwaters were so high that they they so filled you the basement. Intentionally filled they the did. basement. They mm did. -hmm. Mm -hmm. And. I remember they closed, the Army Corps of Engineers closed the Coon Rapids Dam and these horrific icebergs, it was an ice jam then, um, at, on our yard. It looked like the Antarctic. And my dad saved me because I was climbing around on them after the water got sucked out when they reopened the dam. All these icebergs were stuck on our lawn. And so I was out tooling around on them. He saw me slip down and I went right into the water and all of a sudden I felt this <laughs> jerk me up his hand he grabbed me by the back of my my hood and just got me right out of there but it was if he hadn't been looking at me I would have gone right in the river you know and our house next door with Walter's house was water up to their top of their windows oh yeah and then um, what had happened teachers from Anoka came to Sandbank around our house, which really helped. And so to thank them, my mom and dad decided to have a little party at that house on Levy Avenue. And um, of course you had to play softball. Someone hit a ball up into a tree and my dad decided that was the softball that had to be used. So he went up on an extension ladder and it collapsed on him and he got kind of hung up in the rope falling down. I remember seeing him um, fall, and he, the rope kind of broke the fall, but he did end up breaking his neck, and then he had a huge gash on his leg. Mm. So he was at Mercy Hospital for 
two weeks in a, in a halo kind of revolving bed and they had stitched up his gash and he was supposed to come home the next day. He didn't because he had three pulmonary embolisms. Have a little conference in his lung at the same time mm. and they realized later it came from that gash in his leg. This was before anti-embolism socks and you know blood thinners and all that so and it, it was so sad because the Dr. Mork, who had the Mork Clinic here, Frank and Harold, he was a really close friend of my dad's, and he thought he was having a heart attack. And unfortunately, my mother was there witnessing this. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I felt so bad for her. And we were at home. That was the first time Steve and I didn't go to see him, because she said, he's coming home tomorrow. So then she felt bad, but kind of relieved that we weren't there during that. So he was, he was at Mercy Hospital. He was at Mercy Hospital. It was a fairly new hospital at that time, you know. It was built around 1962. Yeah, and everybody was there that could have helped him. Um, so they were just blown away by but what happened, what happened, what happened. Here he's scheduled to go home, and now he's not. So it was hard on the staff there, too. And when you're all prepared for him to come home, yeah. and then it did not happen. One of the teachers, <laughs> one of the teachers came to the house because he knew Steve and I were there, and my mom had contacted him. He came over to the house and said, "Hun, Hans, your your um, mom's not going to be able to take you for ice cream tonight, so um, she's she's got to stay a little longer with your dad." Then the whole parade of cars comes to the front door. You <laughs> know, oh dear. <laughs> but that's how my mom ended up getting this full time teaching job was at my father's uh, wake. Um, the superintendent came through the line, and you can believe the number of people there, everybody from, um, you know, politicians to the janitors at the school. The governor was there. Yeah, the governor came too, and his, the superintendent offered my mom a math job at Roosevelt Junior High, which was a new school, and he said, but you have to let me know today because I'm going to offer it to a, a young gal on Monday. She said, I'll take it. <laughs> and it was modern math, which what the heck was that back then? So she had to quickly go to school and get some modern math training and then decided to, to take that full-time job with a 13-year-old and a 12-year-old at home. Grieving. Grieving, yeah. Yeah. The service was at St. Stephen's? It was. Yeah. <laughs> Oh gosh, the priest there, um, it was his first, it was Father Stark, it was his first funeral. Can you imagine? The church was packed. It's your first, first funeral. It's, uh, he, he was totally terrified, you it's know. It's packed and the governor comes and yeah. poor little kids too. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but he did a great, great job. We, we really appreciated him doing it, so. <laughs> yep, there you go. Your mom, amazing must woman, have been so amazing. To she transition. said she said she didn't even remember the first year after he passed. She was that busy, and um, what I always remember about her too is during that wake visitation time period, many of the women said, "You know, you can go on aid for dependent children," and she said, "I will scrub toilets with a toothbrush before I take public assistance." She was adamant that she was going to, she said, I'm educated, I'm a teacher, and I can, I can make this work. 
And she did. She went back to school and nights at St. Cloud State and every summer for three years and got a master's plus degree, which is pays the same as a PhD. And she said, I don't need to be called doctor. <laughs> so that's what she did to become a, a counselor then, a school counselor. From math teacher to school counselor. Right. Where was she a counselor? Uh, at um, Anoka Senior High under Art Dussel. He wanted her <laughs> to be, please come. <laughs> so, yeah. So she was there until her retirement. My dad died when she was 49, almost 50. So she had a lot. She accomplished a lot. She retired at 65, she, uh, right on her birthday <laughs> in June. And um, she accomplished so much of establishing um, herself to make sure that she would have funds for her retirement. And she just did such a great job. And some of those people that stop you asking about your last name are talking about your mom. Right, yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, she had A's through D's of the alphabet. <laughs> so it's mostly A's through D's. That's why she mm -hmm. had your mom, Nicole. Yep. She my had... mother's birth name was Boughton. Yeah. So, yeah, my grandmother was my mother's guidance counselor. And she warned my mother <laughs> to not marry or date my dad. <laughs> Her own son. Yep. Yes. He's Advised not mature enough. Take, yeah. Yeah. Well, they made a beautiful couple they together. Did. They did. Thank you so much for sharing all of these memories and for donating some things about your family to the Great. collection here so that other people can enjoy. I have to thank Nicole for that. I just kind of unloaded stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I said, here it is. <laughs> Do with it as you wish. And well, I'm looking through it. It's just, it's, Grandma did such a great yeah, job. Yeah, she did. Documenting. Of, yeah, all of my grandpa's roles and achievements and of Anoka itself. I'm glad. I, I'm not glad. I'm sad you didn't get to meet your grandfather because oh. he was. He sounded phenomenal. But Grandma was. Amazing. Yeah. She, she really. Strength, um, intelligence, but she was also always really well put together and kind. She took a lot yeah. of time to read books to me and. She was, a, she was a really great grandmother. But her strengths, especially as you get older and you realize how hard life can oh, be, man. and to hear the stories of what she went through and how she still... Enjoyed life. Yes. She yeah. took them on trips. She took them to national parks. <laughs> She'd get in the car and drive. It's like, can you believe that? A single two, woman? Yes. Yeah. And for the era. So she, she really was a, a, a role model to me, even, even more so now that I'm older and, yeah. and realize just the incredible woman she was. You don't get that when you're 10 years old. And, un and unfortunately, being adopted, I did not get her mathematical ability. <laughs> so our joke, our common joke was always, I, would, I got a pretty important job at Northwest where I was handling a budget. And they'd ask me to do something, and I'd go down into the lobby and call her on the phone <laughs> instead of from my desk. And i go, Mom, they want me to do this. How do I do it? And then she'd give me the formula for it. <laughs> Same with recipes. This is her, oh, she, she loved great this one. recipes. Yeah, but she loved this. I called her once and I said, Mom, I want to cut this recipe in half. And I don't know how to cut two-thirds in half. She goes, seriously, I failed you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, even that one I know. Yeah. But it was a teaching moment. Yep. Take, take a piece of paper, Lynn, cut it into three equal parts. Take one away. How many do you have now? I said, two. She goes, take another one away. How many do you have? And I go, one-third. And she goes, and what does that mean, Lynn? One-third cop? She goes, good girl. <laughs> <laughs> they, 
this is slightly a tangent, and I don't know, you can choose not to answer, but did you ever have an adoption story that she <gasps> talked about? Oh, she, yes. Well, when they, for Catholic Social Services, right? And they said any, any child between newborn to five years of age. And they got my brother first, and it was a snowy, 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 snowy day. And they had to drive from Anoka to St. Paul. And my mom didn't realize, well, you don't know what your age you're getting. So they were totally unprepared. And they went to her sister's house in St. Paul. And apparently my mom's carrying Steve. And um, she looked at her sister and said, I have no idea what to do. Because <laughs> she had always been the youngest, you know. So he slept in a drawer that night. Um, and then 18 months later, which was kind of unheard of, they got the call from me. And she said, when the social workers used to come over, everything was very hush-hush, right? No identities revealed or anything. She said, they kind of told me stuff at, when, when we first got Stephen. And she said, I didn't really mentally take any notes on it. She said, when they got you, brought you over, she said, I kind of took some notes on what was going on, you know? So my uh, grandparents had... My biological grandparents apparently had said, if there's any, if she needs anything, we're here, which my mom thought was really, really, really nice. Well, I met my biological family because back in the 50s, you didn't keep your child if you were under the age of 18 without your parents actually assuming the responsibility. So I was lucky because I knew my last name. It slipped and my mom had written it down. And I actually, when I was working at Northwest Airlines in reservations at the time, ended up actually speaking to my birth mother on the phone. She didn't know it, but I knew it. And, and I just thought, wow, I'm going to kind of store that. So right after I got married, oh, and by the way, she knew your dad's, um, what his bio parents did for a living. Oh. Okay. And mm. she knew what my bio parents did for a living. So... Interestingly enough, because she was working on her master's and it was the twin studies that she was doing, nature versus nurture. And your dad went into labor relations. Guess what his biological father did? Labor relations. She oh, never yeah. pushed him in that way or anything. Um, my father was huge into fast cars, motorcycles, and airplanes. Well, I haven't had a fast car, but I have had motorcycles and, of course, airplanes. So it's just kind of interesting, without her ever revealing that to us, how we just kind of gravitated towards it. That is interesting. Yeah, and so it was fun for her to observe that along the way. The scientist in her. It was oh, yeah. the scientist in her. And then when I got married, two months after I got married, I get a phone call from Catholic Social Services, and they said, your biological mom is... is wondering if she could meet you or have contact with you. And I said, sure. And interestingly enough, the gal who called from Catholic Social Services was from Anoka. Oh, really? And she said, I remember you. She said, I remember your dad bringing you around and showing you off and everything. So she said, she said I could hardly even talk to you because I thought, I know this girl. And she said, your biological mom was so concerned that maybe you had passed away. You know, she just didn't know. And I found out later, just like your dad, our biological parents eventually got married. <laughs> wow. Isn't that crazy? Mm -hmm. But that happened quite often. She got adopted into the best family in the world. We, so. we were already, we, 
we grew up with a lot of large families in our neighborhood. You know, and Anna and Mark go off and come back with newborns and like, wow, how's that working, right? You didn't even show. And um, my mom always said, you know, you're a chosen child. Adoptions, you know, you're, you were chosen. We got, mm-hmm. we, we feel so blessed that we got you. We didn't have to have you. Mm-hmm. So then all the kids in my block wanted to be adopted because they also threw us adoption parties. So you, know, so you got a birthday party and, and an, an adoption, adoption party. party. Mm-hmm. Living the good life, don't you think? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And my birth family I'm in contact with. I, both my birth parents are, are deceased, but I still have, my mom was the oldest of 10 kids. <laughs> so I still have contact with um, aunts and uncles and my nephews uh, or my cousins. Wait, yeah, they're my cousins. That mm-hmm. it just It's been really fun. And I always ask them, who am I, who am I the most like? You know, and they'll say, well, you have this of your dad's, you have this of your mom's. It's really kind of fun to hear that history because they knew both of them. So, Did you ever tell your birth mother about that phone call? Yes, and she was totally freaked out, but she did remember it. She said, I I remember you asked me if the last name was spelled, and I said V-A-N space capital E-R-T. And she said, I remember saying to you, so few people know that last name. It's Dutch. And I said, oh, yeah, it, it's Dutch. And I said, I, I just know that. And, but I thought after, I was shaking when I got off the phone. I thought, that was my mom. Oh, so, crazy. yeah. So it was kind of fun having that. Yeah. <laughs> I, when I went to meet them, I wouldn't get off the plane in Milwaukee. <laughs> I, the, the pilot had to help me off the plane. The whole clan was there, you know. And, and it was crazy because my, my bio grandfather and grandmother were behind a pillow crying. <laughs> or not a pillow, a pillar. We're so sorry we hit, we gave you up, but but my um, I have an uh, an aunt who's <laughs> six weeks younger than I am, the tenth child. They kind of figured oh, yeah. maybe my mom could pretend that was her baby. Yeah, so they are very close because they're the only girls in the family. But still, oh, and it's amazing the connection. Mm-hmm. I I never would have guessed that at all. <laughs> Huge connection, just innate. It's it's. Powerful, which my mom, Anne, asked about. She said, how was that? And I said, it was so unbelievable for me to feel that. She was so happy for me to have a large family because we had such a small one. Mm-hmm. And so she was, she was fine, didn't feel competitive at all about it, which, again, is huge with her. Uh, after I visited them, and my mom was very much about showing me her rings, and you can see I wear huge amounts of jewelry, <laughs> and a Cadillac, and all this. Yeah, and I was raised very, you know, simply. I wasn't poor. We had a middle class life when used to be a middle class, and and I got home, and my mom Ann said, "How did it go?" And I said, "Oh, thank." God, I was adopted. I would have had to go to Notre Dame and marry someone from there. You know, <laughs> it would have been awful. <laughs> so, so we had good laughs about what a great childhood I had and how I was grateful to have grown up here. So how can you not be grateful, Anoka, birthday Halloween? How can you, how can you not just think that's karma? <laughs> it totally is. Yeah. Thank you, ladies, again. Thank you so much. Thank Drop you. Thank you. <laughs> oh, thanks. You're just so easy to talk to. Read all about it in the Noka County Library Minute. Hello, this is Diana Nurberg, a librarian for Anoka County Library, and I've got your Library Minute for this episode. These resources are about how families can be made up in all sorts of ways. Let's get started. First, we have no biking in the house without a helmet, 
by Melissa Faye Green. This book details the story of how the author, a journalist, along with her attorney husband, raised four of their own biological children before deciding to add on via adoption five more times. There are moments of hilarity and tenderness as they navigate what it's like to combine different cultures, languages, and more into one unified home. Next, we have Any Other Family by Eleanor Brown. In this work of fiction, three sets of adoptive parents form one big family around the four children who share the same biological mother, Brianna, who also continues to be a part of the children's lives. Conflict abounds and the family as a whole plans a vacation together only to learn Brianna is pregnant again. While the author poses philosophical questions about motherhood and families, it is done with a balance of humor and thoughtfulness. Finally, we have My Family, Your Family by Catherine Cole and Cornelia Lee. This book, intended for the youngest of audiences, illustrates the diversity of families that are out there. There are so many different ways a family can be a family. Some are large, some small, some have one caregiver, some have two or more caregivers. But the book reminds those little ones that the ones in this book have what matters most, love. You can find these and many more resources through your local Anoka County Library. Until next time, happy learning. Get those library cards and reserve your copy today. Direct links to these books and more can be found in the episode show notes at anokacountyhistory.org. I love conversations with people because you never know where it's going to go. I started this whole conversation with Lynn and Nicole, and we were just going to talk about her dad. And then it morphed into talking about her mom. And then it morphed into she had this whole adoption story that she was willing to share. And people's lives are so much more than just this one tiny little window that you get to see. So is that conversation part of the collection now? It will eventually be. It processing time takes a little bit, but I will have the full conversation because it was an hour ish on the vault for members right away. Nice. So if you don't know where the vault is, you go to our website, anokacountyhistory.org, and under History 21, click on the vault, and you can become a vault subscriber for $5 a month. That goes to our operating funds, which we are a nonprofit, and we would love your support, especially as we start looking at your Exactly what she said. Well, what next? I was just on vacation. My, my brain is fried. You're asking so much of me. You already said complete sentences. That's it. We're done. It was a really fun episode. I liked it. And if you have memories about the Klanowskis, about the flood, about other cool things that we don't know about in the county... Let us know, because we're also planning for next year's episode, so keep us in mind. Speaking of next year, did you know we're going to be 90 next year? What? Mm-hmm. Oh. Happy birthday to us. It's it, too early. Huh? Too early. We're not there yet. Our collective ages are Claire. <laughs> Have a great week, everyone. <laughs> See you next time. If you have a question... Want to visit our show notes page for each episode or would like to share your own story, go to anokacountyhistory.org. Help History 21, the podcast, reach more ears by subscribing and reviewing on your podcast provider. We're all over social media, Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram for all those who scroll by. 
And for our Vault members, you can find special access to podcast extras, as well as the latest digital resources at History 21, The Vault, located on our website. Remember, the present is the past of the future. <laughs>